Hey everyone, this is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. Hope all is good with you. Welcome to episode 72 of the podcast. That song that you just heard was Sardonicus from the magnificent Doomsters Brigantia, taken off their new EP, Midnight. Hailing from Tip, shout out to Dave, John, Neil and their record import signing Mick Carey from Limerick. It's available now on the Bandcamp page and it is a serious contender for EP of the Year in my opinion. It was, of course, recorded by Kieran Cullhan, who is the focus of this podcast. Kieran is also a fine musician, and here is one of his bands, the brilliant We Come in Pieces with Steely Danzig. And that was the brilliant We Come In Pieces with Steely Danzig. Before we move on to the main event, which is the interview with Kieran, I want to do a few quick shout-outs to some of the terrific people who have been sharing around the podcast and always leaving feedback, etc. So I want to give a shout-out to Jason from Ireland Metalheads, Wayne from TWKOM Podcast, Sister Sin, 
Ed Tuttle, Josh from Steiner, Mark Morrissey, Jack Evan and Danielle to name but a few. Much appreciated everybody. Thank you so much for that. The last band of the night which will finish the podcast is again one of Kieran's and it's the excellent Shardborn from Limerick. So I want to give a big shout out to Owen, Ben, Cormac and this track is called Looking Down at the Sky from Above. Enjoy the main interview. And we're live. Hello, this is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Kieran Culhan and Jack O'Neill from Corosa. How are we, lads? Good, very good. Um, good, good. Nice to see you to join us, Kieran. How are things? Oh, great, great. Uh, thanks for having me. We've talked about uh, we've coming on a couple of times, and uh, uh, happy to finally be able to do it. Yeah, um, we we flirted. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> cross paths many times. <laughs> <laughs> The last time I actually saw you was in the Dali, actually. Oh, yeah, the We Come Pieces gig. That was really cool. That was really fun. Uh, mm. It was a, um, a savage venue. She's, uh, I was really impressed with that place. Yeah, uh, that was, was my first too. time there. Have you been since? Um, no. Was Black Coast with you that? No. Oh, I, I was there twice then. Yeah, I was at a Black Coast and a Baylor one. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Chris, the Christmas stew was up. I think so, yeah. That's right, yeah. So yeah. we come a pieces were with God alone, is it? And, and um ten past seven. Ten past seven. And um by curious. What do you think of Bicurious, actually? They're pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, they're decent, yeah. Um, we played with them a couple of times now. And uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're a good band. Very, uh, and so watch you from a fireballs off them. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Did, have you seen them yet, Jack? No? Bicurious. I haven't seen them, no. But you're aware of them anyway. Yeah, I had to listen to them on Spotify when. Yeah, yeah. Really uh, they're managed stuff. by Alex from the Last Vinci. Uh, he's their he's their manager. Oh. So like, uh, shout uh, out to yeah, Alex. Yeah, he's uh, he does a lot of cool stuff. That was a great gig, man. Um, Thanks. I re- I really loved uh, your sound. Everything was fucking perfect um, on the night, and um, I know you started it. You were the opening act, but uh, Jesus, what an opening act! <laughs> uh, yeah, we we, 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 with that band, we, uh, we don't mind uh, when or where we play. We, we, we'll always, uh, we'll always bring a bit of a show, a bit of energy, maybe a bit of comedy between, uh, yeah. the, <laughs> between yeah. the songs. And um, the stage banter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is actually getting getting them to shut up is the hard part. (laughs) Shout out to (laughs) Kieran Hayes. Hey, and uh, you released actually two or three uh, songs um, over the the, yeah since the lockdown started. Yeah, um, uh, lockdown and don't touch it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, we did a cover as well of um, time after time. Uh, Absolutely brilliant. Oh, cheers! Yeah, it was uh, it was good crack. Basically, when, when we were working on an album, uh, uh, like in the jam room, we were like putting together ideas and stuff. And um, then when we figured out that we weren't going to be able to jam, we said, "Hey, we'll just start doing. We'll try and make some productive use of the time." So we said we'd start like demoing stuff, and within like within a day of talking about it, we had a song finished, and then we had like a couple of more ideas floating around so we uh, like within a week we had like three songs done we've another two or three songs that are like in the demo stages and stuff uh, so we just said hey wow. embrace it but like it's not all perfect i mean the the singer is doing his vocals on his iphone like you know just, just going into his van putting it on the dashboard and singing into it like <laughs> you know but i mean you make do what you got uh, especially at times like this and we're just happy with that band especially to be able to 
like you know uh, maybe bring a bit of bring a bit of joy to people whilst all this stuff is going on give them something to check out something a bit of a laugh not too nothing too serious but at the same time we hope that people enjoy it yeah yeah i, I shared uh, yeah. the the cindy Lauper cover on pure oh, rock um, radio oh class oh that's awesome thanks yeah got a great you, reaction i saw you i saw you, i saw you shared it on facebook and stuff cheers for that yeah because i think the um they'd all enjoy that man especially the video it was the video was that hard to sync the the words no, to the, no. <laughs> it just he literally put it uh, our um, bass player uh kieran sims does all the video stuff and uh he literally just uh synced it up uh for the crack to see what would happen and he said it just pretty much was perfect and the minute he dropped it in so just wow. done <laughs> we got in trouble with facebook and youtube over that really yeah, we had to use uh, oh, yeah. Vimeo uh, because um, uh, they, it was getting pulled for like copyright strikes and stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Weren't you saying before about even he had, um, was it some sound samples on the We Come In Pieces album and Spotify were... Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, and uh, it was actually really funny because the sound sample that they were, they were tr basically trying to get us to prove that it was us. But it was uh, um, the the drummer and singer Karen Hayes. It was his nephew that uh, uh, we just hand, handed him a mic when we were recording. It was actually before I was in the band, but I was uh, I was recording it, and uh, uh, he just handed the mic to his nephew. He like was running around crazy, just going la 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 la. Like and we just chopped that together then and made a little intro out of it and we had to like prove to Spotify that it wasn't like a sample from a movie or anything of like that. Jesus I'm not, Christ! I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not you, quite sure. Happen. Yeah, we basically. I think our we just sent them an email back saying basically like, oh, we made that ourselves. It's you know described the situation and said we have no way of proving that it's not from a movie, but you won't find it in a movie. So yeah. <laughs> guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. <laughs> We have a couple of other Spotify uh, uh, shenanigans we've gotten up to over the years. We actually, uh, I don't know if we've ever uh, talked about this before, but uh, we come in pieces. Um, uh, we made a fake artist and made a fake album and uh, we put it up on Spotify through like a third party thing, like when TuneCore or DistroKid, one of them. And uh, the, the guys in the band with the Spotify accounts just started streaming this like 24 seven when they weren't using their accounts. And uh, we made thousands of it. <laughs> Jesus Christ, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I made a couple of thousand euro off it before it got pulled. Uh, it's pretty funny. Uh, the, the funniest thing, like, and that's actually what we used then. To, we put that money kind of back into the band. And like when we did, uh, when we did like uh, we did like a run of gigs over in the UK and stuff, and uh, that was like the that that paid for it all. Brilliant, fair folks. Yeah. <laughs> You've been you formed in two thousand and ten, so like you're like ten years old now. The band, yeah. Um, I actually I wasn't in them originally, but I've been in them for like seven years or eight years or something like that. They had another guitarist, so I've only been on one of the albums, but uh, I actually was the recording engineer on all of the stuff that they've ever done. Um, they and I did like their live sound a bunch of times and stuff. So it was, it was, it was like a, a happy marriage. Yeah, yeah. Like I slotted right in when uh, the other guitar player left. Uh, there was a couple of months where they were looking around, and then uh, I said I'd jump in and help them out with a few shows, and then um, just kind of snowball from there. I've been playing with them ever since. Brilliant. Myself and Jack actually were on about uh, the new Brigantia. Oh yeah, um, I'm happy they 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 put that out. Um, uh, I I recorded it. It's a it's a three track EP that they've um kind of had 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 uh, on the go for a while. We've uh, geez, 
That was last year, was it? I'd say last it was, year? Yeah, I'd say it was nearly a year ago we started recording it. But, uh, you know, these things happen um, like a, like Jack knows, like a, like it's happened with, like a, with, with Carosa and stuff. Same thing with like the Sherborne stuff. Like when you're in an original band, it's hard to get like a recording done quickly because, I mean, everybody's doing it on their time off. Uh, this, for some bands, the stars have to align in order for everybody to be able to be at the same place at the same time, be able to commit like a full day down in Limerick or whatever. So like with the guys, there was no pressure. I mean, they, they move at, a, at their own pace. So there was no, there was no fear they'd get it done anyway. <laughs> what do you think of it, Jack? Oh, I love it. But uh, as you said, they, they move at the pace of like the, the riffs. It's just like doing me, doing me <laughs> yeah. uh, level of progress. But uh, oh, I loved it. Um, yeah. Just so good. I, I think um, their old recordings were great. Um, and then like when you see them play, when you see them play live the last few times, especially with uh, Mick Gary on guitar, just kind of adding a... It added a, 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 a yeah, well. I, I definitely think it uh, uh, added a new, like uh, a whole new sound to them which yeah. uh complements it nicely because like we found it when we were doing the when we were doing the, the recording that uh uh like mixed guitar tends to be kind of bright and then dave's guitar tends to be kind of a bit more dark so when you put the two of them together you just get like a more like kind of full spectrum sound like it was a uh, it was yeah. pretty cool and like you know just the the differences in player makes things just bigger and wider and stuff it's cool yeah we'll say karen with that album how many days did they actually spend in the studio can you remember um, was it a short enough there. experience? Yeah, or? it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Um, nothing on its own took like overly long, mm. um, but it was just things like uh, we'd do vocals on half days. We'd do like um, uh, the guitar reamping and stuff. We that's where you get the you record the guitar on a separate occasion from when you uh, actually put it out to the guitar amps and get your sounds going so like they you kind of split up the guitar recording process and um with that uh, so like we did that over like evenings so uh, all in all it was probably only like the three songs probably took maybe four or five days in total when you put all the time together but uh, um like those were probably split up over maybe nine or ten yeah. sessions yeah 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 and jack how did you hear about Kieran? Was it before any of his work with other bands? Like, was Zealot Cult out at that stage? Um, For example, the first, one, the first one was out, wasn't it? Um, yeah, the, the, the Caminian Crypt was probably out with the EP. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it was mainly the Shardborne album. Okay. Kind of did it for us. Like, we were looking at a few uh, producers around the place and the scene. What, what we kind of wanted to go for and obviously it's never going to be exactly the same as someone else's sound but we just loved the um like the textures that uh, they managed to get on that Shardborn release and oh, just cool. the yeah just the spectrum of sounds on it and we were like yeah it was kind of like a, a no-brainer when we sat down and listened to some of those songs in there and like Ollie would have known throughout for years yeah well. I've, I've known Ollie from um, uh, his days of not paying a debt and uh, uh, he would have uh, come to, to our gigs up in Mayo if we like when we played there a couple of times with Shardborn yeah. and stuff he would have come out and like I, I would have known Ollie before he was in Croza and stuff okay yeah. very good so um, Ollie was just like yeah just go for it and we were all just like yeah once we heard the album so so he arrived down to Kieran when is it 2008, 2017? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, was it? Yeah, summer, summer 2018, I'd say, was it? Um, in 
the about June or July, I'd say. And um, definitely album, summertime, anyway. Yeah, and the album came out the following August. Then mm. it isn't too bad, really. When you think of it. <laughs> it is not in the grand scheme of things. We started recording the Shardborn album that we're working on at the moment. Uh, like two, it's so it's two years ago. This month we started recording it, and uh, we're like we haven't mixed it yet. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Uh, Karen, you were aware of Carosa. Um, yeah. Had you seen him a few I times? I don't think I'd seen them live before we started working on the record, but uh, I knew who they were all right. And I, um, when the guys got on to me, they sent me on uh, the, the demos that they had recorded up to that point. And so I, so I, I had listened to a little bit of it, and uh, like I knew if Bali was involved, it was going to be it was going to be good. Yeah, how good were the demos? Yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, they were like you know like home recorded guitars and stuff like that but i mean it, it was it, like i never expect too much from like a band's demos because like i mean if they had the capability to do like a full production then they wouldn't be coming to me they'd be doing it themselves mm. but i'd imagine as well the technology is there to really you, you know have a really it, good it, quality demo. it's getting more accessible and easier to use all the time uh it's something that uh i even encourage guys and bands to like when they're working with me i encourage them to like get it get into it because i get all it does is help if you've got a guy in the band who's got like a two-track interface and he can bring it into the jam room and hang a mic up and record your jams or like you know demo guitars or like you know get into that kind of stuff yeah it all helps because if they can use that then to like maybe get to let's say there's like a couple of stages of recording there's your pre-production so like the band's write the songs then you've got pre-production then you you start the recording properly sometimes uh like if you can do a good job in pre-production you can save yourself an awful lot of time in the in the studio when you're recording it for real so if you have the capability to explore those options like on your own time without you know without the clock ticking in the studio i mean you come into the studio with a much better idea of what you want and how to get it and like you know then i'll aid the band in that scenario like you know oh, you, know, you want to do that? Well, like, if we do this, this, and this, then we'll, like, get a huge sound or whatever. So, mm -hmm. like, if a band can, like, do a good job of getting to that stage themselves of doing the pre-production, like, it's only going to help them. It's only yeah. going to help them. Any songs there, Jack, that um, kind of stand out in relation to Kieran's work? That yeah, he, yeah. Like, um, but even just to back about the pre-production, there is a great point, like you both said, us, that, um, you know, the quality of the the demos should really like so we were kind of we showed our inexperience in there which is fine because like it was the first time we went recording proper you know um, oh totally but um that's the that's one of the huge lessons we learned was you know spend more time on the on the pre-production because as Karen says you'll save yourself time um when you go to record a proper and you'll be able to spend that time on um enhancing the like more like the nuances in the song yeah totally like getting getting getting, getting the like you can con you can concentrate on the details and the small touches rather yeah. than being worried about like just getting a take you're happy with from start to finish yeah. you can get it like a take that's like you know you might be worried about getting a take that's like to 80 percent just to get the idea across if you're like 
not prepared but if you're fully prepared you're getting that 80 percent on your first go anyway so you've got the time you can spend that time getting it up to 100 percent or whatever yeah i suppose yeah. as well croza would be a band that would have long songs <laughs> to put it mildly <laughs> um how does that feel then kieran from your point of view we'd say that you're dealing with a 13 14 minute epic um, i like it yeah. yeah, I dig it. Yeah, a lot of bands I work with end up doing really long songs. Mm. Uh, I think it's just kind of the the genres that uh, I've ended up working in over the years and stuff. A lot of like doom and, and like you know, some like kind of more experimental stuff. So like a like having a band come in and do uh, like a song over ten minutes long isn't it's no real bother for me. Uh, plus I play in like since I'm in Shardborn, like we've got songs that are over 10 minutes long so like i totally get where the bands are coming from my, like if if that's how long the song is i like it's not my style to go telling a band you need to chop three minutes off this if you want it to be a okay because like that's not what uh, you know that's not the the genres that i'm predominantly working in i mean i have done some stuff like that but uh it wouldn't be the kind of my, my style is like a like an engineer and producer is to make the band sound like them on their best day so like if their songs are long their songs are long and that's just that's part of their sound yeah what about yeah. there jack was there any songs there that you kind of gone in there suffered because of we'd say hey, yeah definitely yeah um yeah, i'd say the, the kind of process itself was just kind of i think suffered from um a lack of preparation just having to put the drums down to kind of bear, like bare uh, metronomes at times instead of using the, the pre-production but um yeah like what you were saying what like songs kind of stood out in the process um like it was like as you said as well Kieran, your style is is um interesting in that you you don't really make recommendations to the songs you really leave the band kind of figure it out for themselves or even just uh, stick to what you know stick to what you were going to do um, and you kind of, yeah, so you kind of trust the band to just do, like, you, you don't involve yourself in saying, oh, this needs to be changed there, which yeah, is I'm, interesting. Like, because like, the way I view it is, like, I mean, that's getting more into the producery style role, which, like, I do do, but I don't like to push it on people. So, like, I prefer to kind of, as you were saying, kind of let the bands kind of figure out like you know i wouldn't push i wouldn't be like you have to change this card to this card because i think it sounds better because yeah. the way i view it personally is why is my opinion that that card is better than this card like if if someone's playing a card on the guitar and it sounds out and i'm like oh i think you might be doing something different from the other guitar player for example i'll point that kind of stuff out mm. but i wouldn't yeah. be in the i wouldn't be of the opinion that I should tell a band what they should do because I think that it'll make their song better because there could be four or five guys in a band who've worked on this song for two years. They've tried loads of things. Like it's not the way I picture it is it's not my place to tell them you need to change that because you know, just because I think so. You know, that's, that's, that's just my opinion. But, but I do, I do try and, steer them in the right way if i think that there's like something obviously wrong or something that's like you know uh like a really bad clash or like a drum hit that's out of time or something like that i i would insert myself 
into that scenario then but i wouldn't be of the mindset of telling them like you know your song is too long or yeah. uh you need to do this you know or whatever Make that's it pop. Just, yeah that's it's kind of my philosophy uh it's like it's something that you hear uh steve albini talk about like you know a bit i'm like i like his i like his philosophy probably more than i like his work if you know oh, what I really mean. yeah oh uh, yeah like i mean some of his stuff sounds really good uh like i like what he did with like russian circles and some of their their stuff but uh yeah. like i'm not really mad mad about like nirvana's album with him and stuff i just don't think they sound you know i prefer a different style of production but i like mm. his philosophy in like you know he views his role is capturing the band and doing a good job of capture, capturing them. That's kind of how I view it as well. Like, and like, if it's, I don't think that a band should be told you have to do this, you have to do that. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, if everybody fits into a mold, then you don't get anything exciting and different, you know. And sometimes there might be something I'm not totally. I don't see the vision that the band is has themselves perfectly, but that doesn't mean that the vision that the band has is any less valid than what I think they might be going for or whatever. But um, just to interrupt you there. Oh yeah, no I, I I get what you're saying. Yeah, but surely you you had a master stroke in that album, and I think that was down to Jack. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but putting the saxophone in it. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was the master stroke, right? Um, yeah, uh, I, I I don't think that was. I don't recall that being my idea. I said I'd give it a lash. Yeah, no, it was uh, me and you were. Uh, you guys, I, I believe you were talking to another saxophone player about possibly, you mentioned to me that you were talking to a sax player from Cork about yeah. um, possibly doing something on the album, but that there were, you hadn't the time to get it together and just like the things hadn't fallen into place. So then I was like, yeah. I play saxophone. I could give it a go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I thought it turned out cool. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I was kind of, um, I've been pestering the lads for, I'd say, about two years about this axe. And I was, like, getting on to people. And, like, they were like, yeah, we'll come up and practice and everything. And the lads a few times were like, oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I slowly won, won them around eventually. And then that day, it just we were more kind of messing about it. And uh, you are like, yeah, I play. And I remember you were like, um, you're like, what kind of, I was like, put in the sax solo, maybe, like, see how it might turn out. Um, cool. And you're like, do you want me to like ugly, like screechy kind of sax? And I was like, no, like smooth, smooth sax on it. And uh, yeah, she just killed it. Like. <laughs> killed it, yeah. <laughs> it was good fun. I was unlucky to miss uh, the debut of the sax live um, down in Dolan's, wasn't it, Jack? He, he came on yeah. stage. Yeah, we did it live. Yeah, yeah. That was great. That was a that great was gig. Some crack. Yeah. That- yeah, that was gut wrenching, man. To miss sque- that squeezing on a tight stage, <laughs> yeah, yeah, chaos. Remember, um, Jerry and Gillock saw the saw that video, and um, he was just like, it looked like it was just a bunch of maniacs up on the stage, <laughs> like having the time of their lives. Yeah, not not too far off. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yep. <laughs> and I mean, Corosa, um, you more or less swept the board last year for that album. It was voted r- repeatedly one of the best albums of the year, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah it was, went down well well enough, in fairness. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there I you go, you got, you got Kieran. Great, I thought you got a great uh, reaction for, like, for, yeah. like uh, when you put it out, it was like, you don't... It, it, for me, I actually find it's kind of that side of things extremely interesting to see when a band puts something out 
that I've worked on because I know how much time the bands have put into it. I know how much effort has gone in, how much, you know, like, you know, like what a labor of love it is for, for everyone. So I always find it fascinating when a, when a band puts something out to see what kind of pop they get off it. And you guys got a really good pop for the Corrosa one. It was great. And uh, like, it's like brilliant to see because there was a lot of time gone into that one. And, you know, it was yeah. an ambitious, uh, like, debut. So, like, I very think, ambitious. Yeah. I, 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 I think, I think people like they, they got that, appreciated it. And, like, you know, you got like, you know, a good like pop from it like which is which is good because there's plenty of stuff that i've that i've seen and done that as uh you know goes up and i mean with today's culture of like social media and content and everything if you put on an, if you if a band puts out a single or an ep or an album and if nothing really pops in the first like week i mean it's just it just disappears yeah. like and and yeah sometimes like the the effort that's gone into those releases is Herculean and they're they're just you know you, you feel bad for the bands when you see it happen and like I'd love to know more about that side of things to know like what way you could guide bands to being able to get more of uh traction uh, yeah get more traction that's a that's a good word for it. get more traction mm. off that initial release and stuff and I mean I suppose if there was if there was a easy answer, everybody be, would be doing it, so it yeah. wouldn't be so much of a problem. But uh, I find that side fascinating, to be honest. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, this that's part of the whole philosophy of the metal cell as well, you know. To kind of obviously, I wouldn't have nothing to do with the initial release, but I'm watching, you know, and and seeing like if there's a single out or maybe a second single, I can yeah. come in then and you know play the song, the single, or yeah, then totally. interview the van, the band, you know. And uh, help help them get more like pop off that and mm. like I mean there's a there's a place for so many different like just to touch on what you were saying there about like you know you were saying like you know you don't play but uh, it takes so much more than just people in bands I mean you need I mean uh, just another example Shane Horn the photographer down in Cork mm. I mean you need guys yeah. like him like he's never played he's seriously passionate about his music and. Uh, he, you know, like you need guys like him who he's put in just as much time getting good at photography, put in just as much money into equipment as any guy in the band. And part of what he does by taking such good pictures is like, you know, let's say a band does a launch gig. He takes out some pictures. People go, those are good pictures. Helps them get that extra bit of social media traction, yeah. a bit more pop off that release, you know. Yeah. It becomes a real thing. Yeah, it takes it takes it takes so many people like you know, like uh, especially people that aren't like musicians because, let's face it, uh, musicians aren't known to be the most organized or the you know the <laughs> you, you know what I mean like like uh, and we're perpetually broke and stuff. So yeah. I mean, yeah. like we need people out there doing the other roles, putting in just as much time to be able to help us along our way. Because mm. if we're just all releasing loads of material into an empty void, then it's kind of pointless, really. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's, a, there's a kind of a weird vacuum around other parts of the country where there's actually no metal gigs on at all, you know? Like yeah. you, only, you only really have Cork, Limerick, um, Dublin, Galway, Belfast yeah. and Galway, yeah? Um, Galway's quiet, like... Yeah, it's it's up and down. I mean, they've they, they they've had um, they've had times where Galway has been super strong, and then they've had times where it's been. I mean, there's some savage bands coming out of Galway at the moment, but gigs wise, some of the best. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, some of the some of the best bands in the country are Galway bands at the moment. But the scene for them, they haven't got like the big promoters there at the moment, so they don't get the big gigs. Mostly, I mean, they got Russian circles last year, but uh, I mean, a lot of the, let's say, for example, the gigs that we get with Bad Rep here in Limerick, like they're they're the booking agents aren't contacting anybody in Galway because they don't have anybody putting on shows in the Roisin willing to put two grand into seeing some big metal band. You know what I mean? Like they're 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 happy to go with their their regular like indie bands or whatever. I wonder, Kieran, is that like a testament to bad rep as well, though? Because like even it's from abs- a park perspective, like there's serious gigs going on at Limerick and you know, Galway's just up the road, like so. I think I think it part of it, part of why we're in the position that we are where we're getting these uh bigger gig offers in Limerick and stuff is the fact that we've been in it for so long and consistently in it. So yeah. like with a proven track record, we're able to tell a booking agent, hey, we're interested in this band. Uh, if they're touring, uh, let us know. And then uh, we can tell them, hey, we've got like, you know, 10, 12 years of proven track record. So you know that we're not yeah. just some Johnny come lately that are going to like, you know, their first dip into putting on a big show and then they get pulled over by the... Uh, the financial expectations that they're under contractually uh, from these bigger bands like you know I mean if you're not prepared like you know and then let's say for example you're putting on a band that costs 2,000 euro they're getting paid that 2,000 euro at the end of the night so if you were expecting everything to go swimmingly and had no plan B uh, you won't hear from that booking agent again and you might not hear from their Mm. friends Say, for example, Kieran, there a band like Corrosion of Conformity that come yeah. to Dolan's. Um, can you give us a rough idea of, of how much work you put in for, say, a band like that? When do you start? And um, it- Yeah, sure. I can give a quick rundown on something like that. For for me, as uh, with Corrosion of Conformity, uh, I had kind of two roles with that show because um, I also worked for the venue. So uh, I was on live monitors for that gig. So I was side stage doing their on stage sound and I mixed the support bands. But uh, for uh, a promotional standpoint, about maybe eight, six, eight months out, we hear from the booking agent. Sometimes it's longer. I mean, we've, we've been approached by a couple of bands booking for May next year already. Uh, like, a, And that was even maybe a couple of weeks ago. So some bands are booking further out. So you hear from the booking agent saying, hey, uh, we're booking a tour. We're basically deciding if Ireland is going to be part of the tour. So if we were to look for dates, what dates would you have available and how much money would you uh, be willing to pay for this band to play? So it's something that a uh, uh, shout out to Tal John. Uh, he's absolutely amazing at, uh, at this side, at this, at that side of things. He, he's very good at like, there's a lot of like negotiations and stuff involved. So you go, we'd like a weekend because you're going to pull, let's say, Corrosion of Conformity. You can probably expect a crowd of maybe half again on Corrosion of Conformity playing on a Saturday as you would on like uh, Sunday to Thursday yeah. because people, you know, they, they need the time off work, everything like that. 
So you say, here's our dates. We prefer these dates. Sometimes you might say, hey, we'll, if we can get a weekend, we can offer this, but with an expectation of a crowd uh, of less than that over a weekday, if it was a weekday, we'd offer this much. Mm. And then there does a bit of forward and back where they go, hey, maybe we can squeeze some extra money out of you. You go, this is most we'll give you. Yada, yada, a bit of negotiation. That's what John is amazing at. He just yeah. he kills it. Uh, like a, um, so then you have a bit of forward and back. This is maybe six, eight months out. Then you kind of settle on it. And then from there until about a month, six weeks out is purely like um, promo stuff. So you'll be dealing with, uh, they'll be sending you posters. They'll be sending you stuff. They, on bands of that scale, you'll be giving them weekly updates on the tickets. I hope I'm not giving away all our secrets now. <laughs> no, it's a great insight. Keep going. Uh, but uh, you, you'll be getting... You, you, <laughs> taking notes <laughs> so, so then uh it'll be all stuff like posters social media put like you know there'd be like a tour announcement made um there's actually something that uh we touched upon on the podcast that we did but when the time between knowing that a gig is happening and getting to announce the gig is it's so exciting but at the same time you're breaking it because um uh, you don't know, like, you know, if you can't be telling people because if you tell a few people, like, I think there's that famous <laughs> quote from Game of Thrones where if one, if one person knows it, uh, it's a secret. If three people know it, it's, um, um, you know, it's no longer a secret. And if, if more than seven people know it, it's information. So like, uh, uh, some, something, I'm not butchering that, but uh, something along those lines. <laughs> so we, we've had to learn the hard way that if you tell a few people, they're going to start telling people. And mm. like, we, uh, we got a, a bad, um, we had a bad experience with that where we a guy got told about one of our biggest it was our biggest show at the time it was, it was actually it was Steve Harris uh, the Steve Harris gig and uh, he went up to Dublin and he started telling people in Dublin and one of the people he told was H who works in Dublin Metal he's Dublin he is Dublin Metal Events and H was like yo um, after hearing this from Dublin, this guy's going around mountains, so uh, mouthing to everybody that wow. there's stuff that this gig is happening. But here's the the mad thing: was that they had an exclusive contract with um, one of the big magazines for tour announcement. So this tour was a complete secret. Nobody knew Fuck. that Steve Harris was even going to be going on tour because he just decided to do it on a figari from having free time off Maiden whilst Bruce was sick. So he was like, "Oh, well, I guess." I'll just get my other band together and we'll go on tour. We'll do smaller places. We'll have a bit of crack, whatever. So um, what we were told was that if the news broke that they were going on tour beforehand, then Limerick was going to be cancelled because it was our fault that the news would have. So we were like, oh, God. So we learned that one the hard way. I hope I won't get in trouble for telling that one. But uh, um, I'm sure enough time has no one cares. They did uh, play, though, didn't they? British Line. Oh, yeah. Something? Oh, yeah. They did um, like a... The news didn't break, but we were basically told that if, like, you know, let's say somebody randomly posted it up on Twitter that Steve Harris has, you know, broke the news or whatever, so, yeah. we, were, we were getting blamed. <laughs> because, and it was because we told people, like, so uh, we were basically told that, uh, you know, those are the consequences for, for those actions. So, the, I mean, so there's, there's serious stuff. Just to get back then to the, I kind of went on a bit of a wander there, but to get back to what I was talking about, about six weeks or a month out from the show of a big gig, you're going to get um, uh, 
information from their tour manager and their touring crew. So that's where like the sound engineer from the venue would start talking to the sound engineer from the band and then you'd figure out what's the plan of action from the day. So you'd start making up a day sheet, you'd start making like it, which would be kind of the whole day's schedule from the band's truck arriving all the way up until their band's truck pulling out. Okay. So like there'd be cool. different stages to that. You you sort all that uh, out in advance. It's called advancing the show. It's not very exciting, but uh, it's just kind of where everybody talks to each other, formulates plan, gets every uh, gets all their ducks in a row, so that when the band actually arrives on the day and you start talking to their tour manager, their sound engineer, the lighting person, their merch person, that everybody knows. Oh, in this venue we're using this desk. Oh, in this venue, uh, the merch goes over here. Mm. Uh, the doors at this, uh, this venue normally start at this time and then the on the day running of the show then if you do a good job of, of advancing the show uh runs very smoothly because everybody knows what's happening so when they land in you're looking for let's say you might let's say the tour manager's name is mike you you you, you get introduced to the band you hear oh hi i'm mike you go hey i'm kieran and it's like nice to meet you and then you yo we were talking online blah 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 and then you go from there and you just you already have a slight rapport developed with them through the online stuff. And normally if they're like sound, then, you know, the day runs pretty smoothly and nobody has any nasty surprises about things that aren't going to be happening. So, you know, so you don't end up with like that whole uh, Van Halen scenario from the eighties where there's no brown M&Ms and then the <laughs> stage is on the floor. <laughs> yeah. I'd say you get mad requests. We we do get some mad requests. <laughs> Pig, pig's blood is one that we've been asked for a bunch of times. A bunch, yeah. <laughs> we can't 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 do it uh, because of uh, health and safety. Um, uh, so uh, we get bands fake blood. Okay, I'm glad you're mature enough about that. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a uh, um, especially in Dolan's, but we've had the problem in other places. Pig's uh, blood. Prior. It's yeah. um, uh, because they're a restaurant, you can't have, and you know, I mean, if someone gets raw pig's blood into their drink, yeah. then you know, they could get that's, very sick. That's them black metal bands, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, Yeah. <laughs> so so the reason why I asked that, Kieran, is that taking all that experience in and dealing with the likes of corrosion and stuff like that, yeah. was the transition then for... Amana Mort's arrival and Behmut, you were involved in a lot of that, I, I presume. Uh, it's actually funny because that's actually one gig where I actually wasn't very heavily heavily involved. Okay, that's why I said ask, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was an interesting one because um, basically they were dealing with, H was also on that gig, so they were dealing with H pretty much directly for like a lot of the, uh, the promotional stuff that we talked about earlier. Mm. That was all done through H. And then when it came to the advancing the show um, from a technical aspect, uh, we had the PA supplier because for gigs like that, like it's not like Dolan's where you come in and there's a house engineer, i.e. me, and a PA already set up. Uh, you build the whole show from scratch. So there was a company hired in to build the stage. There's a company hired in to do all of the sound and lights. And then okay. they also hire. They also might be involved in like some of the trucking. So uh, they pretty much dealt with the bands directly because it was a, a unique show. Like the, it, so they dealt with them. It was true Dolans. They kind of dealt, dealt directly so the band would send us their technical requests uh, to Dolan's and then Dolan's would send them to the PA supplier that they always used Mark Whelan Sound 
Okay. And uh, so they'd liaise back and forward using Dolan's as a mediator because, like, ultimately it would be Dolan's that would be, like, you know, paying for stuff. So they said, we want a stage this big. You go, that's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is, this is part of the advancing. So with that one, it was pretty much, like, meet a Monomart's spec. And then once their spec is met, Behemoth's spec kind of falls into that one but that day was a big there was a it was a long day mm. <laughs> very long day just on the day then there was a bit of it turns out uh, just just like what you were talking about there when behemoth and amana march actually landed in it turned out that whilst we had been talking to everybody involved they hadn't been talking to each other so they had some surprises on the behemoth especially had a different idea of how the day should be ran once they got there and basically hadn't read any of the plans that had already been agreed upon between us, Dolan's, the PA supplier and everybody else. So when they landed in, they kind of threw a spanner into the works and wanted some extra stuff. But we made everything work and the show went on and yeah. Also you had a great performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were you were busy stalking <laughs> them, Jack, weren't you at that stage? Yeah, I was about to say that I, I saw Nergal eating his uh I think it was a nice plate of sole he had for dinner, um, and he wasn't he wasn't too pleased at all. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't really get to talk to him much, but uh, uh, all the guys in the Monomart and all of the Behemoth crew were they were, they were pretty nice. Uh, Behemoth have like their own their crew are called like the Wolf Pack, mm. so like they have mm-hmm. uh, they they have like a they're very self contained and stuff. So that like on the day there was it was kind of almost like. The wolf pack gets what they want, kind of a thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but a monomart oh, were essentially the headliner, so there was a lot of it was like, you know, you can't sound check before a monomart because the monomart are going on last. It's the way it's done. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, God. yeah. Yeah, things like that. Fucking hell. Remember you got to enjoy it though. Um Oh I did. I scratched it for a while or with some crap. Um I I got very drunk at that one, yeah. It was very <laughs> drunk. <we> <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was a it was a rare one for me because, like I was saying, I wasn't as involved as I would be in some of the other shows. From like a like I was there all day and helping out and stuff, but like I didn't like I wasn't mixing any bands. I wasn't part of. The, I I had broke my toe like that week, so I wasn't able to do any of the loading in or loading out either. So uh, kind of lucked out on that one, really. <laughs> <laughs> So you weren't involved with Cove Boys from Hell, was that who it was? Uh, um, I, I helped them a little bit, but um, uh. I, it was um, Mike McGrath was doing sound for them. All oh, right, yeah. That's He's, right, uh, yeah. Uh, sound engineer from Limerick. He, yeah. he does loads of cool stuff. Shout out to Mike, man. That was, uh, that was a great celebration of metal that day. You know? Yeah, it was nice to have so many, uh, so many um, heads from all over the country down mm. and have so much like there was people going what's going on in the city there's so many yeah. people going around in metal t-shirts and it was like oh yeah. there's a concert going down and everyone was just so positive and it was just really good vibe and a sunny day yeah no oh, trouble yeah. yeah no trouble it's really special uh, it's a really special night like even yeah, when, uh, yeah. just got cloudy there before behemoth came on you're like oh is it gonna pour but uh everyone was just like yeah by then it was too late. yeah like, yeah 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 there's no <laughs> stopping the buzz now <laughs> yeah, yeah. like as half of bad reputation Karen, and you look back on where you kind of grew up um which was in limerick anyway and your past we'll say into production engineering 
it must be mind blowing to to kind of get to that level, you know, in probably in a short enough space of time. To be fair, like you know, about putting on shows like with the as you know, like as the, big as that, you know. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Yeah, if not for 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 us in Ireland, that's as large as shows exactly. We could feasibly put on, especially when you get to like you know. I mean, there's the tree arena and stuff, but you know those places are owned by the likes of MCD mm. and stuff. So like, there's no way that we could ever if if there's a show happening there, you know, Bad Rep aren't going to be involved because it'll be yeah. you know MCD or something. So yeah, it's about as big as we could as we could ever like really hope for, and we're delighted. Uh, it was a real risk, not just for us but also for Dolans, and it was just a. A real joy for it to be able to go to come off without there being any like you know there was no negativity like we, you know I'm not sure if you guys are fully familiar with Limerick or whatever but the area that it's in isn't a particularly nice area it's an all part of the city but it's kind of known as being a little bit a little bit rough like you know so like uh, we were like legitimately worried about stuff like the tour buses and stuff uh, that would be packed up during the thing. We were worried about like just local kids running overboard and just throwing rocks and stuff. But none of that happened. Everything was fine. The, the long limerick. Yeah, and like I was like to get the support that we did shows that like you know people want more of this stuff. People want that kind of stuff. And like to be the people to be able to br- like with bad rep to be able to bring that was like it was it was very special for us like we've looked into a couple of more we'd love to be able to do it again i mean if we can if we can we will and yeah you know uh, it's something we're constantly looking at is like who else would we be able to bring in in such a special like uh, a special setting and stuff it was actually nearly two days i don't know if we ever talked about this before that's um, right Chad. Yeah, it was um uh initially going to be another gig the day after it, uh, which was going to be two other big bands, but we, they wanted to do it, but we were we because we never ran a metal show. We just you know we weren't sure about, like you know, just it could have fallen flat. There could have been like noise complaints. There could have been some trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't. We didn't know, so we didn't want to put like you know do it two days in a row and have it just be an unmitigated disaster if something went wrong. So. It would have been cool to have done the second day, but I think we were very right to just have done it once. Make sure that that one went really well, and then we can be more ambitious the next time. And you can always name drop it from this day forward, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, that's um, that's a serious one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and for dealing with, like, the booking agents, like I was talking about earlier, when you're looking for uh, dealing with, like, a... Like you, know, you want to bring a band or something like that. Having that in our back pocket, oh, we were able to put on a Monomarta Behemoth yeah. in this like massive two thousand uh, capacity venue. Then a uh, booking agent will see that and they go, "Well, those guys wouldn't take any shit, so these guys must be able yeah. to pull off the show." So, like having that on our resume certainly is going to help us going forward. I mean, I'm glad you brought up resume because, like, when you went to Limerick Institute of Technology. Was it, um, what did you study there, Karen? I did video and sound technology. Okay. Um, I did it for four years. It was a three-year course when I started, and they added the fourth year while I was there. And um, uh, I'm glad I did it because, um, like, I met a lot of cool people and stuff like that. But from, uh, for what I actually, what I actually do now, 
oh geez, I learned nothing. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, um, it, it wasn't a very well ran course at the time. And there was, uh, the, the lecturers were sound and stuff, but there was a lot of red tape and they had um, problems with keeping up with the times. Like, so like there was, the world was changing very quickly at that point and they had, like it was over 10 years ago I was there now a good bit over 10 years ago what was it mm. 2005 I started so um, okay I think no I'll have to think about that <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, when 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 we uh, like we were doing it like YouTube wasn't the thing yet I was doing like and we were doing video so like they were using cameras. I remember a lecturer telling me, like you, you know, we were talking about cameras earlier, you might get a kick off this. Um, the cameras we were using were mini DV tapes, which is like a kind of an analog thing. And there was an SD card slot. And we were like, oh, why wouldn't you use the SD card slot? And the lecturer literally laughed at us and was like, you, ne- you never fit any video on an SD card. They're too small. <laughs> and like, look at it, you know, look at it now. And that's the oh way everything God. is. Oh my God, fucking hell. Yeah, so it was, the, co- the, the course was a bit, it just, uh, it was, outdated when I started and uh, that didn't really change too much so but when I actually finished it the degree was, wasn't really worth much but at that point I had already started uh, doing stuff with uh, bad rep and um, uh, I, I, I pretty much finished my course in June and by July I was a house engineer in Baker Place. Yeah I was just going to say were you behind the board at that stage? Yeah and I had started re- I had started recording bands in college. We had access in my final year to uh, a couple of studio spaces that they had just put into the college. And uh, uh, I had started putting my own setup together anyway. So I was doing stuff at home. So I actually, rec- I was recording, I was, before I left cal- college, I was actually recording bands in my house, like as a, you know, just as an engineer. Uh, I had a couple of bands it was kind of interesting actually because uh the one of the first bands that i recorded that would have been a band that wasn't like college related was a band called black of the south from uh they were from the midlands i think it was like around mullingar and uh, some of those guys are still in the bands today and uh, still see them uh one of them's in venus leaps oh venus leaps yeah okay oh, cool you moved then probably how long were you in that venue? What's it called again? Uh, Baker Place. Baker Place, yeah. You were in there for a few years. Oh, we were it? there for three years, four years, three or four years. Um, I, I uh, kind of similarly to the situation I'm in now where I'm the house engineer in Dolan's and I also work with Bad Rep who put on shows in Dolan's. I was working as the house guy in Baker Place doing sound for all the gigs, like, you know, whatever they were, could have been any any, any genre of music. And then uh, when they closed, uh, there was kind of like hopping and skipping around and then um, trying out different venues as a promoter. I was doing freelance, freelance sound engineering, basically, uh, I had a the PA from Baker Place and we myself and Carmack who plays bass in Charborn now uh, he had started he was also doing sound at the time uh, live, uh, live sound engineer and he was the promoter in Baker Place after Shane Horn left uh, who's the photographer we talked about earlier uh, so after Shane left Carmack took over and then when Baker's went under Carmack had a lot of uh, gigs in his books in, uh, that, so in order to honour those gigs we started putting on shows in other venues and then because we had PA and he had a van and we could do it between the two of us uh, we started doing like freelance stuff travelling around to 
like different parts of the country. We actually did a lot of gigs in Nina and Tipperary. We did some in Kilkenny and um, all over the, all over kind of uh, Midlands and uh, Munster. Just to go around with PA. And a lot of them are like, some of them are like metal shows and stuff like that. So we did like the well in Nina. We did the Kenyan. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Nina. It's a mad place. But uh, I, I was good. Uh, good hub for music they always had good bands from there so i ended up recording a lot of bands from mina and doing sound for them and stuff uh so after that then uh the blind pig uh uh they, they got going we started putting on shows down there we actually put our pa into the blind pig and then we that's what we used for all the bad rep gigs was the like rpa okay and uh after they went under we that's when we jumped into dolan's then um, and actually, when we started putting on shows in Dolan's for about two years, I was working as the house sound engineer in a different venue in the city. So I actually missed a load of the bad rec gigs as the engineer <laughs> for about a year and a half, two years. Oh, what did, kind I, of I, music was that, Karen? Was that the all, same? It was, it was all, um, uh, when I started, it was like 50-50 original gigs, which would have been like uh, kind of indie bands, blues bands, um, some funk bands and stuff. Uh, and then they did like covers bands on the weekends. So I was doing sound for just your stock covers bands. And I wasn't mad fond of that now, to be honest. I met some really good people. Uh, the musicianship was really good. I enjoyed the musicians, just didn't really, you know, cover. I'm not really... If you see me doing sound for covers bands night in, night after night, you know, I've packed it in basically. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it doesn't interest me nearly as much as um, doing sound for original bands and, you know, seeing what kind of different music like the underground brings. Like, you know, because yeah. it's what I like to listen to. It's what my heart is in. So mm. when the opportunity came to move to Dolan's, uh, I grasped it and uh, I've been there ever since. And, it's a perfect fit for me, to be honest. I love, I love working there. Is it something that would interest you, Jack, moving into production, engineering side of it? Um, I don't think so. I mean, like I do, I know enough to kind of get by with some home demos and stuff. Um, and I'm always kind of trying to progress that, but like never with the view of actually recording proper. I just want to just be able to enjoy like what I'm making, what I'm doing at home. Um, so just kind of getting better gear as I go along, um, and just getting used to, you know, getting used, to, used to some of the more technical aspects. So you don't have to like waste time figuring things out as much and you can just get to recording and making stuff sound better quicker. Um, but yeah, no, I'm just kind of, I, I still need to learn how to play the guitar. Like, um, <laughs> so, uh, he, uh, here. <laughs> so, um, uh, and uh, yeah, no, it's just I'm not really great technically, like so. I just I'm just gonna, especially when you're kind of on a bit of a creative buzz. Sometimes I prefer to just keep playing, even just through the practice amp there instead of. Um, uh, I totally, I totally understand software. where where you're where you're coming from, like uh, because yeah. if like you're there kind of buzzing off a riff, and then you spend 10 minutes hooking up stuff to record and then like you've kind of you might have lost the feel of the riff or you might have like yeah. you know like, you, you're just not like in the zone that you were like 10 minutes ago mm. and sometimes then by the time you've got all the stuff yoked up you're like oh I'm, I'm sick of this now i'll just not record it <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so, but like if you can yeah. get the technical side of things down to a point where you're not really worrying about it then like you know if you could just kind of like 
turn around, hit a few keys, and then suddenly you're recording guitar. Uh, it makes yeah. it like it makes it a lot easier. It's tough to figure that stuff out initially, but once you get it going, um, you know it's it's a nice creative environment to be in. What's the most difficult yeah. part do you find, Kieran, out of we'll say recording a band? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, when they're idiots. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. I think the toughest part for me, anyway, in a lot, a lot of times, is uh, just getting the drums down tight and getting them down and this isn't i don't mean this isn't like a like insulting drummers or anything like that but uh i just find that like they have a tall order in that the quality that the drums get set to it sets the bar for the rest of the recording so like if there's issues with the drum tracks like you know if they're like wandering in and out of time and if they're like not very tight and if it's you know the hits kind of all all over the place it's never going to sound no matter what you do after that it's never going to be like amazing so like it's tough to like especially when you're working with a band for the first time it's tough to get those really good takes and we're like and also because like drum recording takes the setup takes 10 times longer than anything else the so many more microphones so like getting uh, just sound ch- checking the drums on their own having the drummer just play drums along with nothing just like warming up could be 20 minutes half an hour whilst you're you're setting you're setting levels you might decide you don't like a microphone change that microphone out for something else or you, you, a cable's not working so you go f- track that down change it so like but then when you're recording like guitar it could just be a DI box plugged into your guitar, going into mm. the computer, and then you've got a sound on the computer just for now, and then you're going to send it out to them later. So that, uh, like, uh, just drums just tend to be the thing for me that ends up being tough. Uh, and like sometimes drummers, when they're recording, if they're, especially if they're not used to being recorded and stuff, like it can be hard on them because it can be a very humbling experience for musicians when they're recording for like if it's something they're not used to because if they're if they're used to like you know they don't they might not even hear the string squeak when you're jamming with your friends and stuff like that you might not hear like oh my guitar is ringing out a little bit there but then when, when you're under the microscope all of that you know suddenly you're being told oh you're ringing out a string over your riff there change you have to change how you play it so the riff doesn't sound like that and then like your guys are kind of going oh crap i've played it that way since day one i don't know another way of playing it so then you know it can be kind of a stressful time for the musicians and it's i find for drummers almost more so than the rest because they might never have played with a click before they might never have if they haven't recorded they might not know like oh you have to like stop here do a cymbal grab so that your cymbal doesn't ring out over the nice guitar riff or just little things Mm. like that and you know, it, it can be tough and it can be kind of demoralizing sometimes for them because, you know, like this is their chance to play it right. And sometimes they don't have the money to spend more time on the drums. So like, you'd, you know, he's got his whole band going, play it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I was just saying like, if, if, like relating that to our experience, like there's, um, you know, you're used to playing, especially in such a, like with pros, it's like heavy, fuzzy, sludgy, you know, um, lots of feedback, it's a big wall of sound in the practice room, 
yeah. and as as Caron said it's exactly that you're put under the microscope and like you're doing a lead and just every little squeak from a different spring or your your right hand or something is coming through um but like you know Caron Caron had great like some great tricks on how to minimize that but I remember the first time that I went to put down a lead was like at the end of one of the sessions uh, and I think we we had just finished doing some um, rhythm tracks or something. But yeah, I, rem- I, I remember the, the I remember the day. Yeah, it was a, it was kind of like a, oh we've got a we've got a bit of time left. Let's try and get this done. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Throw a few guitars on top of the drums. You know, we just finished the drums, and I think it was like a month maybe before we were going up for more days. So we did like we started off by doing. Uh, I think four days or something in a row or five even or I don't know what it was two or four or five anyway um, I think it was three two days of drums and a day of guitar but I could be wrong yeah yeah and then we we uh, were just going to see how far we got through uh, how much we got through before we booked more days so it was like a month later by the time we could get to work off and stuff but I remember I started to put down the lead before we wrapped up and I was just like so I was so far off where I needed to be um, and I thought that I was, I thought we were close enough to being ready, but I'm like trying to put down the lead and it's just like, um, so it's like a month, a month after that of like every lunch break, every spare minute was like thrown on the metronome because I didn't want to fucking embarrass myself for the next time I went up to put down the leads. I have to, I have to say that when he came in, he absolutely crushed it. It was like, boom, 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 leads done. Yeah. so yeah it was a good learning as well yeah massive that was that was the thing like the curve was just like ridiculous it was so steep but um it was a very enjoyable experience like Mm. when you when you do start seeing the results of like and i've practiced with a metronome before but this was like different level of detail um and just when you start seeing the results like remember one of the guys kieran was saying um, after like two or three days of guitar and doing all the solos and scalping, um, you're just like, you'll be playing rings around yourself for a few days after this. And it was like, I'd say I'll never be able to play as well as I could for that like few weeks ever Jeez. again. So it was ridiculous, but it was great. It was such a good experience. Like, Yeah, I'd imagine bands in practice rooms, you know, constantly, um, they probably come into a studio expecting to sound the exact same in the practice room and want that probably to be portrayed on their album and then when you're comparatizing yeah. and breaking it down into different levels i'd say it's a shock to the system is it for a lot of them uh yeah and it's a funny one that um uh i'm sure like every other um audio engineer has got the same got the same stories it's uh the amount of bands that i've been contacted that's it uh by that i've said we want to record well we want to record live we want to record live and i've done i've done an awful lot of live recording, like a full band stuff, um, uh, you know, gig recording, live albums and stuff. I've done loads of work like that, but for a band to come into the studio and to properly, like I always ask them, why do you want to record live? Because it's such a tall order. Because like, as we were talking about there with Jack, where like you're under the spotlight when you're live recording, everybody's under the spotlight the whole time. So like, Yo, if the if you play like a bum note on the guitar, you've ruined the take for the bass player, you've ruined it for the drummer, you've ruined it for everybody else. So I always tell people, 
why are you or ask them i should say why are you uh, wanting to record live and the money is uh, money is always the answer they're like we don't have the money to do it properly we don't we don't and i always say to them then do one song right don't just do a live record you're doing your stuff in a, a disservice if you're just doing it that way because you can afford it that way mm. like like uh so and then i'll ask the band can you send me on a video of you rehearsing in your practice space and if they send me on that there's always mistakes all over it like and i'll start pointing them out to them and tell them look you gotta like i'll do how much money have you got if you this is how much money you've got because i'm not in this for the money because like it'd be a terrible business decision to be recording bands and promoting gigs and playing music for a living if it was about the money uh like you know money something that can always be worried about later it's it's about doing something you care about making a good record that like the band are happy with that i'm happy with so like you know we can always figure out the money stuff afterwards like you know like it could take a year to make a record so you could spread that payment out over a year or whatever like you know that can be done but like a lot of bands they're a little bit insecure about you know the individual parts being done because they fear it won't have they fear that it won't have their sound but i think most of the bands that are recorded by the time we're finished they are happy with the sound it does sound like them and what i try like i touched upon it earlier but for me the philosophy is i want it to sound like the band on their best day so like you know that's why you try over and over again to get good takes make sure the drums are perfectly in time that you you build it up from the ground up where everybody is happy with the with what they've done and that like you've caught like your your good performance from start to finish and then you stack all those on top of each other and it sounds like the, it sounds like the band it's still them it, it just because you're not doing it all at the same time doesn't mean that you're going to lose something in in there you know like that's my job to worry about mm. them translating if you know what i mean and like i think i have like not to toot my own horn but i think i i have it figured out to a point where i can get a band to sound like them without like having too much of an influence you know i'll be like i have loads of gear for them to try and to use and stuff but like if they have a guitar sound they want to use that's the guitar sound that ends up on the record it's it's and i'll tailor that to make everything fit with the other people but then they sound like them on the album so when a, when a band like zealot cult come in then and that album spiritual sickness yeah and uh sickness. you you knock it out of the park then uh, uh like th- they're a prime example of that like this they, they sound like Zalakut. they they were they were they were a band that was initially a little bit apprehensive about not everybody recording altogether because they had done some excuse me they'd done some uh recordings with previous bands that they were in that they were like not not super like happy with and stuff so they they were kind of like looking for the live thing but like you know then we did the ep and they were happy and we did the album we used the same process for that as we did for for the ep and they were all happy with it you know like um i think the world is happy with that one in that like you know like they got such a big response um like the stories they've heard of back from people like people in bands listening to the like you know they'll be at a gig and they're 
you know, some guy from a big death metal band will be like, oh, you're, you're from Zella Cult. What? <laughs> you know, and, oh, we were listening to ye. No way, you know? Like, then it, it's, yeah. cla- it's class. Like, you know, that that was a great record to be a part of. And, like, uh, those guys are brilliant. Like, you know, and they're uncompromising in how they want it to sound. Like, you know, there was a lot of things that they were like, you know, they were like, we're using our own amps cool no problem use you know those that's how you, that's what you sound like so no problem same with the drums uh i have to say their drummer decky did pretty much every single song in one take start to finish as in not like oh, he recorded the album like in 45 minutes but like he do a take of a song and then he might do a second take maybe a third but it was all full takes. There was no like chopping and changing, punching in for bits and pieces. He did, like, and that's what suited him for recording because he didn't like the you know having to jump into the middle of a song with the intensity that you have or whatever. And we found out after doing the EP that that's what worked for him. So we used the same the same technique so, essentially on the on the on the album. And I mean that's what he was happiest with. It, you know, and it, it ended up ended up working for them because like you know he's good enough to be able to do that and not, with no click either he did it all just with the the oh, jay the, the rhythm guitar player uh doing oh, it all playing along with him so he just start to finish but like those guys they've been doing this style of music for years so he could do that whereas like you know some 17 year old in a new band who's never recorded before, who's never, you know, he hasn't played that many gigs, he's not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's where you bring in your studio tricks and go punch in for the chorus here. And then we'll, you know, I need you to hit the same crash. You coach them through it. And like, you know, then by the time they've finished a couple of songs, they've got the confidence, they've got their their process down. You figured out what's working for this player. And it kind of goes like that for every band. There's mm-hmm. the full spectrum there from guys that need like coaching all the way through to guys who are like just let me do my thing and then you do let them do their thing and it works out what was your reaction jack when you heard uh spiritual sickness i was fucking blown away um because like you know it's and like back to what, what you're saying about the drums there um it kind of i love that in a on a death metal release when you can hear that it's a human playing and he's still oh totally yeah, he's so tight. He's on on the on the money, but you you still know it's a human instead of just like um, completely triggered stuff. Um, and it kind of reminded me of Joe the drums on, not so much like from a stylistic thing, but Joe the drums on Covenant, the third Morbid Angel album. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just ridiculous, but you can you're it sounds it still, it still sounds, sounds like, like a person. Yeah. Yeah, it's you're listening to a drum kit that could be in the room, you know. And that's what kind of brings death metal to life for me. So I, yeah, I just... it's it's the issue that I have with um, like some of the more like uh, modern tech uh, death metal bands. Mm. Like I love my death metal, and um, I just find that it's gotten to a point now where so much of it just sounds like a drum machine. And when it's super techy yeah. stuff, yeah. like where, wears you out super quick, and it's just not interesting. Whereas like you know, yeah. then you get someone like Decky from Zalakult sitting down playing the kit doing really interesting stuff but it sounds you know they sound like real symbols uh, the snare has a different tone when you hit it That's the first it. time the second time it, it, yeah. you know it, it it's leagues better if you can get if you can do it 
Yeah, you you got the Scott Burns sound there out of spiritual sickness. The, the lads, uh, the lads from uh, Zella Cult call me Morris sound. <laughs> yeah, because like yo, Morris sound in uh, Tampa. But I asked Mick Carey from Zella Cult, and um, I asked him to name out one of your best strengths. Do you have any idea what what he said? I actually I listened to that podcast. I'm trying to remember now. <laughs> It, it wasn't uh, on the podcast, actually. Oh, <laughs> close. He said, right, it was your ability to sleep in any position, regardless <laughs> of what's going on around you. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I can do that. I, I did a, I did a, um, a bunch of gigs with the lads over in the UK. Like, there you know, go. One stock and stuff. And uh, we'd be in the van 10 minutes and I'd be asleep. <laughs> Regardless of whatever yeah, madness matter. was going on, yeah, uh, Karen was able to sleep through it all. How was that trip actually for you? Uh, it was, it was, it was, it was very good. Oh, it was class. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, it was so interesting for me in different ways because, like, being able to like you know go backstage at Bloodstock because I, I I did sound for Zalikol, but I also did guitar teching for Tent on Slug. So I was, right. side, I, I was side stage for them. And like, you know, we were all camped together and uh, we did the festival. I did, so I did, we got there. I did guitar teching for the lads first night, Zalikol sound for them the next morning. And then we left the day after uh, whilst the festival was still on because the, the guys were doing a show in London on the Sunday night and uh, Manchester on Monday. Mm. It was so interesting to see how it all works and get to talk to like um, Simon Hall from Bloodstock uh, to get to talk to all these people and the, some of the stage managers and stuff just to see how do they do it on such a large level because like, you know, coming from like, you know, the siege, it was interesting to me mm. to be able to see how many, like just how many techs have they got working, how many, what equipment are they using, what's their system for dealing with this, what's, you know, like if a guy brings his own amp, well, what's their policy what's their and even a fascinating thing that i, I actually um uh, I, I i hope to be able to maybe do something along the lines of them in the future was they had a really cool system in place for um giving bands a usb stick after their show with a copy of their gig video and sound uh like a you know like a just like that's what the guys from uh tent and stug put up with their performance i believe and it's like an amazing like multicam like recorded straight off the desk so the sound is pretty good oh i was i was like damn that's awesome like if we could do that for bands at like the siege especially but even if i could do it for bands at like just regular bad rap gigs it'd be awesome so you know so i was like oh that's really cool that's something to work towards and just seeing their policies as well for like backstage like they had a very hardcore policy for um what the bands who are headlining get and what the bands who are further down the bill get so there's like this little sh shitty kind of gazebo uh thing with a, a few bottles <laughs> in a bucket of ice for all the bands up until the last two bands and then the last two bands had like a little kind of porta cabin thing that had like a fridge and some seats and table and plugs all important plugs and the other thing was just like a outdoor gazebo no plugs in sight you can't charge your devices <laughs> here but uh it was it was it was funny you know uh, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Ten Ton Slug, because they were playing second last, got one of the cabins the day that oh, they were Oh my playing. god. So it was like, ooh, la di da. And then uh Zella Cult playing the next morning, the same stage, and it's little you know, the the little kind of outdoor gazebo thing and you know, it was just funny, but like I mean the quality of bands that were also getting the same treatment as Zella Cult like that day there was like three quarters of ministry were playing in a band and they were just standing out in the rain with everyone else <laughs> Jesus <laughs> you know? yeah okay. it's funny I, I, I really enjoyed that trip we got to do the other gigs with Zella Cult then and uh, that was class too because got to see a couple of smaller venues uh, around the rest of the UK and kind of get a chat with the, the guys that were involved there and chatting to the other bands from um from from the UK who were also doing that tour it was really cool. Uh, they, we uh, ended up uh, getting quite friendly with them, and we still touch base online and stuff. So our plan is to bring them over to Ireland for a little mm. tour. I was just gonna say, like, did you make any uh, good relationships over there? That yeah, you can kind of. Yeah, actually, a funny one was uh, literally the first person I met at Bloodstock was uh, we were going up getting our um, uh, our armbands uh, arm, arm and stuff for yeah. the accreditations tent, and. Um, the guy with Q behind then was just like, oh, hey, how's it going? Hey, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And he saw my T-shirt and he goes, oh, Siege Limerick. And uh, it was like, oh, cool, no way. You've heard of it. I was like, oh, I'm one of the organizers. And he turned out to be one of the organizers for um, TechFest, the UK te- uh, tech metal festival thing. So, uh, yeah, we were just chatting away then. And uh, <laughs> like, whilst we were waiting and like, you know, he, he actually knew so much about the Siege. Like, I knew a lot about his festival because like, you know, it's big festival that I've, you know, we've applied to play it and stuff with Shardborn and stuff. But um, yeah, it was just funny because uh, it was like, oh, the first person I met knows, you know, saw my t-shirt, knows about my thing. Oh, that's cool. And the weekend was kind of like that then, you know, it was just like, you know, meeting so many like-minded people, guys from bands, um, big and small, and like everybody just having a good buzz and it was cool. What's your perspective actually, kind of when you go away to those gigs especially bloodstock which we've gone to for five years in a row um the irish bands are all, always get a fantastic reception over there um, from the crowds. yeah I, I i was shocked at how well done uh how well uh the like the, the bands that i was there with did uh, like i went to see as many of the irish bands as i could i missed um black shock because i think their time slot got changed or something mm, over, did, all yeah. the, over all of the um there was storms gas, yeah there was a storm so the main stage got uh, got shut down as you know uh the main stage got shut down and then uh a lot of stuff got moved around because bands weren't able to make it yeah like, black shook got it moved into sophie from the Egemeister, I think. they ended up playing the slot that the the band from uh the, U, the usa that zelicott went on tour with played that they, that they were they were stuck on a ferry uh coming in from france they, uh, they couldn't dock with the ferry so they weren't able to make the fest so black shook ended up playing their slot and they never played the festival in the end, but they played the next two dates, so we got to talk to them and stuff. Mm. But I, but again, just going back to the your impression of Irish bands over. Oh yeah, um, I thought it was it was awesome. Uh, like Ten Ton Slug played to such an amazing crowd. It was like, oh, you know, there had to be a couple of thousand people there. Uh, it, it was the only big stage open at the time that they were playing. Mm. They were going on right before Running Christ. <laughs> like they were get they got headliner treatment like you know they got head they got wow. full light show big 
awesome sound. Um, oh, it was epic. And like the festival organizer really, really likes them. So he was side stage drinking pochine that the lads gave him, like having a whale of a time. And he was like, you know, tapping the tapping the photographer on the back going like hey get a picture of this get a picture of that yo oh look there's a guy in a slug co- uh, thing make sure you get loads of pictures of that and yo all that ended up on like the bloodstock social media and stuff then mm. so oh, absolutely wow. amazing and like Stella Cult played first band on the Sophie stage the next morning and played to several hundred people like it was brilliant like you know I mean the lads like slay like they always slay yeah. uh, they had a few technical difficulties it was actually funny that the issue they ended up having was with uh, the bass amp that they brought their own full back line for the for the tour that we were doing but the, they opted to go with the path of least resistance and the bass player used head supplied by bloodstock and that broke <laughs> jesus <laughs> uh, like uh, yo, he, nah. the whole reason he didn't use his own stuff was to make sure that there was no issue and then the, the amp went down and uh, really kind of tune, but uh, uh, they still sounded fantastic, and they like you know they they acted like professionals and got on with the show, and it was just brilliant. Like being in it, involved in the scene for so long, Karen, and experiencing Bloodstock and knowing the quality that we have, <laughs> that the quality that we have even now, band wise. How do you feel about it? Like to be honest. Uh, I feel like Ireland could be represented more, even like, I mean, there was the, the time I was there, I think it was seven or eight Irish bands. Uh, there was, a, there was uh, a lot there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we were did well that year, but even still, I was like thinking to myself about 10 other bands that could have easily slotted in there with the caliber of acts that was there. It's hard to, it's, it's, it's tough though, because like, I'm sure Jack will attest to this. The, like Irish bands have to get to a certain point before they can even think about going on tour, like you know, jumping in a van, going across to going across to like do a bunch of dates in the UK. And to be honest, it almost takes the bands that are doing that to be at the level to be able to play something like Bloodstock if you're not doing the competition thing. So like, there's bands that certainly have the quality over here, but I I, I feel like some of them mightn't have the they mightn't have the touring experience to be able to do those festivals kind of on their own merit, if you understand what I mean. Like, they, they certainly have the quality and they certainly have, like, the releases to stand behind, but I just don't think somebody... And it's a, purely a logistical issue, I think, for a lot of Irish bands because, like, I've done it with a couple of my bands. I've been very fortunate in that I've gotten to do that. But, like, and not too many of the bands, that, like, over here... You know, like, uh, you've Tentus Logs, Alicult... Maybe the crawling handful of uh, Zora, Zora Baylor. Yeah, they've all done it. They've all done it. But I mean, there's not a huge amount. Like, it's not like Irish bands are traveling on mass over to the UK or Europe. Like, I mean, it's a. I wouldn't say it's a super rare occurrence, but you don't see it with the same, um, with the same. frequency as the bands from the UK because they can just hop into the channel and get like you know they can go over there for like a hundred quid they can go over to Europe and then once you're in France you could be in the Czech Republic three days later like you know there's so I feel like 
Ireland would be a lot better represented if we were able to do the touring like they those like those bands are because realistically a band from Ireland ferrying over to either the UK or Europe is dropping 500 quid on return ferries before they've sold a single t-shirt I guarantee you that even if they're getting paid for every show are they getting paid enough over those three, four days that they might manage to do to be able to cover even the ferry, not to mention the petrol possible accommodation. And like, so I feel like Irish bands are a little bit hard done by in that regard. Like it's hard for the promoters to know about all these awesome Irish bands in other countries because they don't see them. You know, they're not, they're not seeing them on their the smaller gigs, but when they do, obviously they're showing them support, you know? I don't know, maybe that was a bit wandery there, but uh, no. like that's just kind of my insight into it. Go on, Jack. What do you think there? Yeah, like I think the you you hit the nail on the head there. It's I think it's a logistical thing, um, and it's a shame, but it's like it's hard to come up with a solution to it. I think like even from Crows's point of view, we should be at the stage now, especially going into you know the second album. Uh, you know, we'd want to be progressing a bit. Yeah, and you you can just see what like with a lot of bands. Um, I'm sure even you probably experienced some frustration with Charitborn. It's just like trying to keep progressing things and like Charitborn of hundred percent, hundred percent, and everything. But it's just trying to get everyone on board with uh, like committing the time and the holidays and just the money. Like you have to be able to drop a lot of money into it. Big time, and, um, uh, and that that's where a lot of the conversations and like. St- like stop for a lot of bands is because yeah. it's like like you know there it's like hey guys we got to pony up 500 quid a month before we go on this tour that we don't know how much money we're going to make on we got like you know we got to pony up 500 quid for this ferry otherwise it's going to be 600 euro if we wait till like sooner and like we we had a just as a, a an example we did a thing with Shardborn. um we were supposed to do a uk tour last year and I brought I brought a band over called Spires from Manchester, a band that we actually go back years ago. Mm. We played with them in the Blind Pig. Just I went complete, to see them before, actually. And, yeah, you were at that gig. Yeah, they were yeah. really good, really good band. Really good. Yeah. And um, the whole reason that we were playing Cork and doing Limerick and stuff was I organised a Irish tour for them, and it was a tour swap was the whole the whole thing. And unfortunately, they they broke up after their Irish tour. And uh, yeah, and uh, we never got an English tour out of it uh, because they had, yeah, (laughs) no, they were super nice guys, lovely. I think it was just like a they they had been going for like over ten years, similar to ourselves. Uh, They had done a lot of things that with varying degrees of success, and like no question about it, phenomenal band excellent output like you know their material really is awesome uh and like even like when they played limerick and cork uh, like you were there jack there wasn't a lot of people at the gig in cork uh it wasn't we they still got a bit of cash out of it they still like got fed put off had a great they had a great time but uh similarly similarly in limerick it was a better crowd but it was you know like you know they like they lost no matter what they lost money on it they there's no way that they were ever going to be able to break even. Uh, I think they had just been banging up against the wall for long enough. And after that, they must have had a frank discussion and decided that, hey, you know, like now's as good a time as any. And unfortunately for Shardborn, that meant that we didn't get to do an English tour that year. And it all, like, you know, we had put, we had put, thankfully, just time and effort into it. We were like, 
the whole reason we found out that they'd broken up and everything was because I messaged him and was like, I was, you know, we're booking the ferries. Oh. Um, you know, yeah. uh, any updates or anything like that, making sure that, just making sure that like everything was still cool and then I got a long email back basically saying, hey man, decided to pull the tour, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, like, they were super nice guys and everything, but that was shit. <laughs> <laughs> It sucked, you know, like, but uh, thankfully we didn't have already booked the ferries because if we booked them, we would have been out like 500 euro. Yeah. What would you say, Jack? Like, I feel like I'm getting very down here. (laughs) No, but I mean, it's valid. It's valid. But I mean, obviously a band like Rosa need to be over in the UK, need to be up in Scotland, England, you know? Yeah. Big time. Like, it's it's just, that's just the way it is. You need, um, you just need to go out and do it. Um, but that's yeah, this seems to be the reality of bands. Like I remember before I was playing in Crows, I I see just these like top class acts in in Cork and you know bands traveling down from Limerick and stuff. And often wondering, you know, how the fuck aren't these lads getting somewhere? You know, um, mm. and then when you're you know it's a few years down the line and you're inside it. And like some days you just kind of, st- you can step outside and be like, oh yeah, that's how. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Reality like, what, just fucking what, what matches I, you. But like, that's why the, the bands who do it, um, I respect them. Just, it's like, even more, imp- even so so much more impressive to yeah. to see a band, like be able to pull it off. Yeah. I think the, um, I watched the Baylor documentary the other night. Did you see oh, I that? Still, I, still, yeah, I, I, watch I, I, I still have to watch it. Um, I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm looking forward to it. Man. It's fucking class. Like, I'd be a big fan of Baylor, but like, yeah, again, me too. From that side of things as well, because like, we'd see them. I was, I remember seeing them around the practice rooms, and I was just like, the lads are going to Russia there tomorrow. Like, you know, and they're you, know and they're you know, um, uh, Murph, the bass player in Baylor, he played at the very yeah. first, uh, he played in a band called Orpheus, and they played the very first bad rep gig ever. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I know him since then. He's a fucking beast. Fucking yeah, best based on in Ireland. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Said it a few times, man. Savage. Yeah. But that, that was a great documentary. Yeah, shout out to Baylor. Really highlighted all that stuff that we're talking about. So, like, yeah, it, it was a really triumphant thing um, for them. And they've had so many triumphs because of their tenacity and their quality. Mm. But, like, there was some moments they didn't filter either, you know. So they showed you the, the ugly side of things as well. Um, yeah. like one, you know, get losing the bags and stuff. And um, when an airline loses all your shit and you're in Russia and you miss two shows, and I think they actually that actually cost them money that they had to like pay. There's something in the clause I think that they had to pay money because they miss shows. Um, yeah. and then there's like another show where there's like, was it Stoke or something? And there's like four people at it. Yeah. And like, imagine the boys driving across the UK in a rented car. Uh, you know, after all that, and playing to four people, but they mm. still, they just fucking, from day one, they just delivered that with that intensity. And like from the first gig and Freds that they showed on us to any time I've ever seen them, which is a good few times. And then on the documentary, you just see the, those struggles. Um, and of course, that's all outweighed then by the by the gigs that like were absolutely just kicking off in us. Um, yeah. Like they got to, you know, even getting to Russia, like that costs like that's a, an investment um but like if you were to say you know what is it like 10 or 11 days in russia um like seven nights or something and you have to it's gonna it, it, it's gonna cost you a bit of money so like 
some people can't commit to it. Other people think that, I think a big mistake that people make often is they think that um, someone's just going to come along from like Russia or, or like the States and go, here lads, you're savage. You're the best. You're the best thing I've ever heard. Signed the dotted line. Uh, saying that we'll give you all this money to come over. I've gotten uh, I've gotten an email like that from a guy from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, Same guy. Uh, yeah, um, it's actually really funny because uh, uh, I followed up on it and said like it wasn't like you know a lot of money or whatever, but a guy basically said I've tour booker uh, can put a tour together for you over here. Um, yeah. So it was actually not that far from when around Baylor were doing their one so I remember asking the lads a bunch of questions about it because I I had Mm -hmm. followed up with the guy but we ultimately didn't end up um, like uh, really getting too far with it because I just wasn't getting the answers I needed from their end like I'd send an email with six questions get a reply to two of them and then just kind of like everything will be fine and I was yeah. like I can't just go on everything will be fine it's like yeah, yeah. yo like yeah. I look, I've, I've googled these cities they're thousands of miles from each other how do you get made of me oh car rental when you're here let me grand yeah. I was like yeah okay no thanks I think that uh, was uh, the same crowd like they're on to us as well um and like is like so I think it's like I'm not disrespecting anyone by saying that like fans have to pay like they have to you have to pay it's pay yeah yeah oh totally it's like play like i think it's an under talked about aspect of like the whole metal scene uh in general i feel feel like i feel feel like a lot of people skirt skirt around the fact that like a lot of the opening bands you see on the bigger bands tours are buying on but they are paying they are paying for the, they are paying to guarantee that the bigger band walks away from this tour with a profit. And it's literally profiting on the coats of the bands that are trying to get where the bigger bands are. And it's something, it happens day in, day out. In Ireland? Oh, and yeah, yeah. like I'm not as much in Ireland, but it, like Irish bands have, like, I'll just give you a, a, an example. This is going back years ago now. Uh, we with Shardborne we played with Cynic uh, in the village in a long time ago I don't want to say a year because I'll probably be wrong it was a long time ago it was Cynic nine, from from America. America yeah you know the, like, yeah, yeah, uh, Cynic, Shine yeah. Ryan Hart yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, um the guys that played in Death uh, yeah Jesus. and the, the guitar player at the time was uh, Max Phelps who um, went on to form the Death to All thing and uh, he's the Chuck Schoner of Death to All. Yeah, so it was, it was his first gigs. It was his first gigs with Cynic, but um, they were doing a tour, and uh, we were we had been onto the promoter H. Uh, it was the only time we've ever played with H, which Airborne actually. But uh, um, he called us up like two days, a day or two before the gig in Dublin. We had message basically saying we'd love to play this if it was at all possible, and he said, "Oh, they have their own tour sports, so it's not really possible." So then uh, we got a call two days beforehand. Opening band had pulled out. Opening band were supposed to buy on to the tour. So they, there was a couple of things. Uh, there was there was a couple of things that they needed. Um, a, they needed a projector. We happened to have a projector, so we didn't use it as part of our show, but we gave it to them anyway, and they took it on. They took it all over Europe with them, and we got offered to buy on to the tour when we met the tour manager and they were like oh you've done such a big favor and everything like that you can do it for five thousand euro and we were like 
I didn't have a passport at the time. Uh, just like I would, you know, my passport was just out of date. I hadn't gotten a new one yet. Uh, Onto the full um, European tour, is it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you, we had done Dublin and there was 13 more days. You can buy on, you can literally hop onto this nightliner with Cynic. Uh, oh, and the other band was Chimp Spanner, who were like a kind of a instrumental genty kind of a thing, but a really cool early kind of gent stuff. So it was, it was, I, I actually really liked them. Like we were huge fans of both bands at the time. We were like, mm. So they, uh, uh, and as the night went on, oh, our drummer was starting his new job the following day. So like, there was no way we could do it. Um, it was tempting, but, isn't it? But the end of the night, it was down to a thousand euro. If you guys have a thousand euro, um, you can jump on. They liked us. They liked us. Um, and we were like, look, we, we, were, we were all broke. We were fresh enough out of college. Like I say, our drummer was just after getting his first job out of college in the field uh so um that's a great example man so we were like look we there's no way we can do it we stayed in touch with we had to get our projector back (laughs) but uh uh, i'd uh, say that shit goes on wholesale in america so oh man it is rife but all the bands you see you see coming through you know like for example we have loads of them in like you know it's not necessarily Irish bands doing it so much, but then again, because we don't have this, we don't have the logistics in place for it. Just got a, a fresh drink off my brother. Awesome. Thanks, Owen. Shout out to Owen. But, Shout uh, out to Owen. <laughs> the tour manager for uh, that Cynic gig was also the tour manager for Catatonia, and she was telling us about, like, they never got anybody to buy onto that tour because um, they played in Limerick, and she was the TM for the gig in Limerick. Oh, my camera's going weird. But uh, the she was the, so she was telling us we didn't get anyone to buy into that tour. But then, like when Catatonia played and stuff, they had their own supports, and they were all bands. They're all when you see like Cannibal Corpse, Napalm Death, any of these bigger bands that we have coming through, and there's no local band playing, it's because the bands that are playing that you haven't heard of have all paid to be to be on those tours. Like we don't have the logistics over here, so you don't see it as much because mm. an Irish band would have to pay. 500 quid to get over to the UK to start doing a tour if you get me you know so it's not as prevalent over here but it is huge any of those bigger bands like those smaller bands are paying for all of that and then there's I'm sure you guys probably saw there's like a bit of drama on Facebook like you know there's like Irish metalheads and all these groups and stuff but there's um they recently became affiliated with Rage Breed Ireland who like part of their thing is Oh, we'll sell you. You can be an RCD and have a centerfold, and it costs you like eight hundred euro. So, like, you, like when you like this is banks don't have that money. Like, yo, like I'll tell you, like I eight hundred euro would get most bands of a full release with me like you know i mean i I don't charge that much like i was saying i'm not in it for the money Mm. like for a lot of bands like you know you could do uh you could do a release for 800 quid if you wanted but like for and then these these magazines and pr companies are charging them 800 euro just to have a track on a cd and take a and put a a few nice photos with whatever blurb you've sent them they'll just print that verbatim in the magazine like you know it's yeah. it's ridiculous it's like there's this whole system in place to profit on the younger more inexperienced bands who they have the drive but they haven't got the experience yet to know that like you don't spend two thousand euro on sending your stuff to two magazines and getting a centerfold you use that money in better ways but they don't know that so they put out a release suddenly they're five grand in the hole because they spend money recording it money promoting it and 
the only thing they can do then is spend a couple of thousand euro on buying on tour. Yeah. Look, um, and and, I, and it is a temptation, especially for a younger band who don't want to fucking do I the hard service. You know, I don't mean to be overly negative. I'm just no, no, telling, you no, know, no, we're yeah. like as we're talking about it. I'll just draw out a few of the mm. the things that people might not know so much about. Mm. Yeah, you can't get fully you can't get uh, fully cynical then either. And I think that's where the band. I still like... I still love gigs like more than anything. Like I mean, like during this yeah. whole lockdown thing, I'm. Like I will cherish every gig I see from here. <laughs> you know, I mean, it could be a guy hitting a box in the corner, and I'll sit my yeah, ear. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, uh, um, like I have even with like you know, I might feel like I'm a bit like cynical or whatever, but like I mean, I still enjoy gigs more than anything else. Yeah. Putting on shows is one of my favorite things that I've ever done, and I also like recording bands and stuff. I try and give bands the fairest deals and the. Mm. the 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 realist experience if you get me like you know like jack in a test i try and teach the man's whilst we're doing it so that like they might learn a few things from recording with me that they would stand to them for the rest of their recording years even if it's big with time. other people or whatever big time and it's like the um just with the from the band's perspective um it's about finding that line because it can be easy to to become to have the cynical viewpoint but as well you have to you have to stay ambitious and adventurous and know that things are going to cost money and i think that's where bands like baylor um and tent on slug they they, they invest money you know and other bands i think a lot of the core yeah. bands especially just kind of go too far down the opposite and it almost becomes like a political type thing where they're like we won't pay we will never pay anyone to do anything for us and we'll always it's like an underground kind of cult thing. Then I understand it completely. Yeah, but yeah. um, you have like this to. Is, yeah. You're like yo. I put on my own gigs. I record my own bands. Like yeah, I understand. Yeah. Like, but I, I, even yeah. still, I like we're not af afraid to spend a bit of money with any of the bands if you have to. Because I mean, yeah. realistically, if a guy is going to take awesome pictures of your band, or if you're having a mastering engineer put the nice touch on your band, and like I mean, if you want to have a physical, like like Richie, I don't know if you've uh, ever looked into how expensive a it is for a band to get vinyls done. Have you ever looked into that? Uh, no, but I was helping out Elder Druid with uh, their distribution around southern ireland you know and um yeah it was difficult enough to even to get guys in that'll take albums like take to, vinyl. Get, to, to, to get 250 vinyl regular just regular like no no fancy frills or anything like that to get like 250 is like the minimum order that you that's can correct yeah it's like one and a half thousand euro like i mean mm. and then you've got 250 vinyl you have to sell before anybody you can yeah. think about getting any a new, a new release done like it's a tricky it's a, it's a tricky scenario like you know because like you know like it, put yourself in the band's shoes you're after spending and, but know, our our bands our bands almost pressurized by maybe 20 or 30 fans asking them oh you should go down the vine come to brazil come to brazil <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like it's almost a meme at this point yeah but, um yeah. Um, That's good pressure. I, I yeah, I, like I mean, I think every band wants their stuff to be on vinyl. Like I mean, like mm. like ideally, like it'll be. It's, it's just, so old school to have it on vinyl. Yeah, I think. like like my two my, the favorite my favorite releases that I've done, 
and uh, most of them have ended up on vinyl like so like you know like the Sherborne one is obviously a really really special one to me and like when we figured out that we weren't able to do that on one vinyl there was going to have to be a, a, a dual vinyl like a Oh, we were we like we were like oh we'll never get to do an online this isn't going to be able to be done you know it's just going to cost too much money and then we were extremely fortunate to um we we said look we'll shop it out we'll send it out to a couple of labels like top of our list was out in the limb who are local label they they had uh, you know cox rest around their label and uh we had toured we, we had toured with rest when they did like their album release and i i Ended up knowing Kieran, the guy who was uh, had a, he was one of the two guys running the label at the time. Uh, I I did radio where when I was a teenager. I got involved in community radio, and he was like the tech at the the radio station. So I yo we had a little bit of an in there already. So the guys listened to it and they really liked it, and like you know they helped us put it out and like. Oh, like it, it had, we for us we felt like it had to be vinyl, and they felt the same way. So we, they were like, "Look, it'd be better if it was one vinyl, but to do it justice, it has to be two. So yeah, we're go- we're going to put it on two. And we, like, you know, similar to the philosophy I discussed earlier, they were like, "We'll figure out money later. Let's forget about that side of things. That's something that can always be worked on. Like, you know, we'll make it happen. And like they did, and like we were thrilled. Like, and we got to do the weekend pieces one on vinyl as well. Thanks, Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> so, come here. I'm going to wrap this up. I just want you um, to recommend Kieran um, an album. An album. Yeah. Ooh. Put me on the spot now. Something new or something old? Um, preferably Irish. Preferably Irish. Oh. Uh, I'm actually not sure what it's called, but um, the last old season release that they had with Frank as the singer. Um, there's a couple of tunes off that. Uh, there must be 10 15, year, 10, 15 years old at this stage, but they are, they, I still throw them on every now and then. The production's not great in it, but the songs are fantastic. Okay, and um, a book? A book? Ooh, um, uh, The Way Kings, Brandon Sanderson. Um, I was reading the series for a while, and I'm uh, about to start again from scratch. So, uh, uh, yeah, is that a fantasy book? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and finally, an artist or painter that you admire? Not my strong suit. (laughs) Not my strong suit. Artist. There's plenty of them there, man. In the in the (laughs) metal scene. Make it easier um, do you for know, you. Do you know who's been doing really good stuff lately? Uh, shout out to um, uh, uh, from Carosa, uh, Obsidian Imagery. Yes. Uh, his, his stuff Boy. is. Yeah, his. Karen uh, um, Cochran. Yeah, all the stuff he's been putting out uh, on Facebook looks nice. Savage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, his uh, his stuff is great. Uh, I'd say he'll 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 definitely get a few uh, uh, a few nods uh, for work in the next while. I'd imagine uh, fans yeah. would be silly not to get onto him. Cool. Talented pouring out of them. Yeah. <laughs> In more ways than one. So um, I'm going to end it. Uh, Karen and Jack, thanks a million for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. It was great chatting to you. I feel like I only touched the, the surface. I have a, a list of notes here to talk, stuff to talk about now. So, yeah, I, I'd be lucky if I crossed one off the list. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you've been listening to the Metal Cell podcast. My name's Richie. You are listening to Kieran. Check out all Kieran's stuff. Fantastic producer, engineer, musician, Shardborn. Um, we forgot to mention Crack Sabbath as well. Oh, Crack Sabbath. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Uh, we come in pieces as well. Uh, Jack, as usual, thanks a million, man. Corosa, Gallock, and the Metal Cell forums. So thanks everybody for listening and support your local metal scene. 